Let's get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Elliot, let's just get right to part two of our interview with Sam Jones. Sounds good to me. Did the Boston fans take immediately to the idea of uh, Sam Jones and Casey Jones in the backcourt taking over for Kuzi and Sherman? We don't, we don't like to think about that. We, we, we do it a different way. Uh, they didn't lose any points when Casey and I came in because we were better defensive players. There's no question about that. We were better defensive players. Uh, Kuzi was a better assist man. Um, Casey became that person. Bill Sharman, 15 feet and in. Nobody's going to beat him shooting, including me. I just want to be truthful about it. The guy was just that good. And so we had to go in and try to perform as well, if not better. And nobody was jealous of each other. And so uh, we look at it. So the people didn't know. The people didn't get jealous because of that. In fact, I think they like what we get. How did Red Arbuck take it when Bill Sharmer went to the Lakers? I mean, did he kind of think of him as a traitor here? Because, I mean, I know Bill loved to beat the Celtics. Well, no, no, no. You, Bill Russell loved Bill Sharmer. There's no question about it. Oh, no, uh, not Bill I Russell. Red, Red Arbuck with uh, Bill Sharmer going out to LA. No, you, a, a fellow must better himself. Now, you got to understand, he was not with the Lakers during our tenure. Think about that. When Russell and I played, he did not, he went, he went and coached in college at the time that we were playing because I got a chance to play with him for four years. And it was four gratifying years because I learned from Bill Sharman. And the only thing I didn't like about Bill Sharman, he liked to shoot around before a game. And he invented this shoot around. <laughs> and nobody wants to get up out of bed and go shoot around before the game that night. And I, I never forget the the big thing is when he was coaching the Lakers with Wilt Chamberlain, and he had a shoot around, and Chamberlain didn't show up, and he sent the one of the kids back to tell Chamberlain to come down and get on the bus. And Chamberlain said, "You go tell Coach Chamberlain he can get my points at shoot around, or he can get my points at the game tonight. Which one does he want?" <laughs> I thought that was pretty good, but uh, no. Um, I don't think Red uh, was angry at Bill Sharman for doing so. Because if you think about it, Bob Cousy later on went to uh, the Cincinnati Royals. Right. And if you, Yeah, if you can remember that, he became the coach of the Cincinnati Royals. <laughs> yeah, he was a player coach for a while. Yeah, he was. Yeah, but that wasn't a good idea. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> he just no. should have been the coach because it was late on in his years. You, you're renowned for your bank shot. At, at what age did you develop it, and why don't we see more of that? Well, the only only person I know who uh, really taught that was John Wooden at UCLA, and he had his he had his people to shoot off the backboard at every practice, and they could do it quite well. Uh, it came about with me because I never missed layups from either side. Our coach made us shoot many, many layups, and we had to concentrate highly on making at least 50 before we could leave practice, and we did it. And so I decided I would start shooting layups off the backboard. I mean, shooting jump shots off the backboard. 
And I was very effective with that shot. And so I decided, let me use this shot in some games. And I did. And all the way from high school on into the pros, that was the shot that I did because I I just thought I could make more from an angle. If I shot that, that's only from an angle. I could also shoot from the rim very effectively. But uh, I like that back. I like that bullet shot. And, and, and really, I thought I could make nine out of ten. I didn't, but I thought it. Was Bill Russell the key to those ten championships? Bill Russell was the key to every championship. And uh, I, I still, to this day, and I, you, you, you people in Chicago is going to give all the credit to Michael Jordan. And I don't take anything from Michael Jordan. He was a great ball player. But when you say who was the best ball player to ever play the game of, in the pros, what is it based on? Is it based on how many points you scored? Or is it based on winning championships? I base everything on winning championships, just like the Yankees did, just like uh, the Montreal Canadiens did back in their day, just like the Minneapolis Lakers at George Mikan in his day. But there's nobody in any sport that I can think of and help me out, please, that has won more championships in less years Bill Russell played 13 years and won 11 championships and went to 12 NBA finals and never missed one Eastern Division finals. Does that make you the greatest basketball player in the NBA? So you must be the second greatest basketball player in NBA history because you won 10 no, championships. No, 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 no. Uh, well, I say this: we don't. We're the only two in double. We're the only two that got a double double. I'll put it that way. But I'll say this: no, it's not about Bill Russell. Was responsible for most of them. I was. I was responsible for about five of them because it was on that last shot. That and I'll tell you this: that every time it came down to taking the last shot in the game, my play was called. And I never gave it a second thought that I was going to miss that shot. And the most thing about those shots is that I knew my players trusted me. They trusted me, and and, and that that gives you even more confidence. But I remember year after year year that every time going to that huddle, Red eye back would say two for Sam, four for Sam. I knew what the plays were. All you got to do, that's all you got to say. Everybody on the court knew what it was. We never had a paper to drop anything because we knew we were coming out to execute. So you didn't have a set playbook of basically whoever is open, get the ball and shoot. What's that? You didn't have a set playbook then. It's basically get open and take the shot if you got it or pass to someone who's open. Oh, no. We had set plays. No, no, don't, don't ever think that. Everything that we did came off a set play, except the fast break. So, uh, but there was no words about getting open. There was not going to be anybody in my face that was going to uh, even be near blocking my shot. And that's where execution comes in. Everybody's got to know where to go and how to set those picks. So the timing has got to be there. And you know, and if you missed it. You knew if you missed a shot, Russell would rebound it. 
No, no. I took a shot, and I thought Russell's in the game. Hell, he was sitting on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said to myself, well, if I miss this shot, Russell's going to rebound it. And that was against the Lakers um, in the – in the sixth game of the playoff, in the sixth game of the playoff at our home, we, they were up one point. And I came around, and the picks were set much like they were supposed to be, and took that jump shot, and it went over the front rim, get on the front rim, went to the back of the backboard, and all I could see was Chamberlain closing to get ready to get that rebound, and the ball fell in. So we won by one point, and we went on out to beat the Lakers in the – seventh game of the playoffs when nobody thought we could win. And that was my last year. And unbeknownst, unbeknown to a lot of uh, people, that was Russell's last year also. Who gave you the hardest time to play against guarding you? I didn't worry about anybody guarding me. As I told you, I spoke to Jerry West yesterday. He was my nemesis. And uh, Oscar Robinson, those are the two that gave me the hardest time of my professional career, and they came in at the same time uh, in 1966. One, because they both went to the Olympics in 1960. And when they came out, they were just great basketball players. And, and if I got a few minutes for you to listen to this, they said the greatest team, uh, and we could not do this, uh, the dream team, the first dream team, that was a great basketball team. There's no question about it. But I look back and I see at center, if we had a dream team during our time, okay, I just see at center. And if I see Jerry Wesley, I'm asking the same thing. Uh, at center, I see Russell, Chamberlain, and Thurman. Nate Thurman, who is an underrated ball player. At my forwards, I see Billy Cunningham, Elgin Bailey, Rick Berry, and Bob Pettit. And at my guards, I see Oscar Robinson. And I see Jerry West, I'll put John Havlicek at guard because I thought he was just, uh, he could have played both positions. I put John Havlicek at guard. And if I had to use a shooter, a real shooter, you've got Oscar Robinson, Jerry West, I put Hal Greer. And that had been a hell of a dream team. Yeah. Michael Jordan gave his five you'd want to play with. He had... Him, Magic, Worthy, Pippen, and uh, his center was Elijah Wan. I would, I disagree. I'm with you. Oscar Robertson's your point guard, and Russell's your center. And your small forward's probably Elgin Baylor. In my in my big forward, my big forward got to be Bob Pettit. Bob yeah. Pettit, right? Oh man, he was the first. He was the first player to score twenty thousand points. In the league, and he could score, and he was six nine, and he knew the games. So, I thought that I thought we could have put a formidable team, a formidable team out there on the court. Yeah, I, I think you guys would have done okay. <clears throat> did Did Wilt have more talent than Russell? Do you think? Because to me, Wilt Chamberlain was about as dominant a force that I've seen up up until LeBron James nowadays? Well, I disagree with you totally. Okay. Uh, LeBron James right now is the greatest player in the game uh, today. But I think Will could have been the greatest player to ever don a uniform because of his talents. But Will just is not going to do it all at the same time. 
I think he could have been the greatest rebounder, which he was. I think he could have scored more points than anybody. I think he could have been one of the best defensive players to ever play the game. I think he could do everything that he wanted to do, but he never wanted to do it all at one time during the full year. And that's my that's my thing on Will Chamberlain. Why didn't he? I mean, like you said, he could have done it. I don't know. I have no idea. He, maybe he didn't have the same type of players. And I thought that when they had Chet uh, Walker, Luke Jackson, Billy Cunningham, Al Greer, Wally Jones, um, a, um, a Red Kerr, who played with Chicago, I thought they had one of the best teams to ever go on the floor in the NBA. And I thought that Wilt was the leader of that team, and had he led like Bill Russell, uh, no telling what they would have accomplished. You you had a, a pretty good perspective on those Russell-Chamberlain matchups. What what was that I don't, like? I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even like to talk about that. That just makes me so mad every time I hear that. And I always said... When they put it in the paper, why don't they just have a one-on-one full court and let, let all of us watch Russell and Chamberlain? Because there were other people that were a part of that game. That's why I named the Chet Walkers, who came into the Hall of Fame very late. He's been in there a long, long time ago. And that's why I named the Luke Jackson, because they contributed to the success of that team, the Billy Cunningham. Man, those guys were great. But when you just say Russell and Chamberlain, yeah, they dominant players, but hell, you got other players that contribute to all your success. So I, I, that's media. The media can change the course of everything. Could Wilt have played for Red Arbach and could Red Arbach have kept whatever sanity he had coaching Wilt, do you think? I think Wilt liked Red Arbach in a certain way. I think. But I think if the owners would let Red coach the way he wanted to. Red could have coached anybody in the NBA, any, any team. And I think he would have been successful by the way he coached and the way he treated his players. I heard that Red couldn't coach in today's game, and the only reason is he couldn't smoke those cigars on the sidelines. <laughs> that may be true. But you know what? I think he would have smoked those cigars anyway. <laughs> I do. That was that was his thing. But the one thing I do appreciate, he never smoked them in the dressing room uh, <laughs> before our game. So we we appreciated that very very much. They were victory cigars. They weren't pre pre game cigars. You, you mean he well, didn't ha- they he didn't hand them out after the game? Oh, as cheap as he was, you kidding? No, he wasn't cheap. I just kidding. No, uh, no, that was the way to agitate fans. That was the way he could agitate the other fans because they knew when he lit up his cigar, the victory was for the Celtics, and that's something he loved to do. And we sometimes four minutes to go in the game, you see him take out that cigar and light it up. And the people knew they were getting back, and he was getting back at them. What was it like when you went in the Hall of Fame? I didn't really want to go in the Hall of Fame. Why? Uh, because um, I was told years before that I was not going in the Hall of Fame because there were too many Celtics. 
you know, I always believe that the Hall of Fame took players on what they did. And it took me 14 years after retirement to go in the Hall of Fame, almost 15 years. I was actually, uh, it, it's a funny thing, on my ring it says 1983. And that was when I was selected to the Hall of Fame. But I, I was checking out both were selected in 83. And on the ring it's 83, but we were never inducted until 90, uh, 84. Now, why did it take 14 years for me to get in the Hall of Fame? If you look from 19, five years after you come out, it's five years from 1969 to 74, you can't be selected. That's when you got to live the good life and make sure you have uh, no bad things against your name. I've never been arrested for drugs. I've never had drugs except uh, prescription drugs by a doctor. I've never done anything for a bad name, never beaten a wife and married 56 years. But why when a guy who has played five All-Star games has played in had played in 11 NBA championships and won 10, why do you look and see people going in that didn't have the same success as he did? And it took me 14 years. Uh, maybe 50, you look at it and, you, and you, you, you take your own reasons and compare my record with everybody who went in after 74. You know, you had made five all-star games, too. It's not like, okay, you're here. Yeah, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. Just, just the championship should have been enough. Right. Without even counting anything else. There's nobody There's nobody even close. Who could, there's nobody who has played with one team. And I say one team. As great as, and I take nothing away, uh, Bill was with Chicago and, and L.A., as great as he was, I don't think he could accomplish the same thing Red Auerbach did with Michael Jordan all the way through for 12 years with that team and changing personnel the same way as Red did. Bill inherited great teams. When he left and went to L.A., and you're going to get – Jabbar and you look at Michael, you look at Worthy. Yeah, that's three three great players right there in itself. So uh, he had a chance to inherit, inherit young people. Red had to do it with the same people year in and year out, and it does make a difference. Yeah. No, you're but exactly he, right. I mean, you had a couple other Hall of Famers in that team. We didn't even mention Bailey Howell, Clyde Lavelle. You're talking right. Oh yeah, but you see. And we we put them in the, we put them in in the in the group with us because they were once they put on that green they were Celtics and even Don Nelson now he went in, he went as a coach but he contributed very well to our team. Well, you were named as one of the NBA's fifty greatest, so that that sort of validates. You know what? That means a lot to me. Why? Why fifty grades? They could have put a lot of other people. Even though I'm one of them, there's a lot of people they overlook. Alex English, uh, things like that. They just overlook, and then that was bad. There's a lot of people who did not make it, and uh, that I thought should have been on. I won't. I won't call names, but hey, who did it? Did the players? The players did it. So if the players did it, that's fine. I can accept that. And it was great, though, when they had the 
50 greatest and they were all there except for the one who had or two. One of them was sick and then you had um, Pistol Pete Maravich had passed away. Well, Pete, 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 Pete could have been even a greater player, but after finding out that he had a bad heart, I said, my gosh, how good could that guy have been? So, so yeah, Maravich deserved to be on that, that, that uh, 50 greatest. We guys, we just got to get you the Medal of Honor, like uh, Bill Russell got, and um, what's up? Uh, Ernie Banks just got last week. Well, it's not the Medal of Honor; it's the Freedom. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Freedom Medal. In fact, uh, Hank Aaron just got it. Oprah, Oprah Winfrey just got it, and uh, yeah. and uh, who else uh, uh, was what is? Somebody from uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. Was it the second baseman or somebody? Uh, Stan Musial got it in uh, in 2012. No, he got, no, he got, no, no. This is this is uh, after Stan Musial. Uh, who was the guy who would do the jumping jacks? Oh, Ozzy Smith. Ozzy uh, Smith. Yeah, I think he got it. There was somebody who was just honored along with Oprah, and oh, Bill Clinton was honored. Yeah. He got it also. With that group, there was about 15 people. And I, and I think that, uh, I know Hank Aaron was one of them. It is, it's the freedom, it's the freedom medal, not the medal of honor. The freedom medal. Yes. Medal of honor is if you fought in the war. Hey, you better believe it. That, that you don't get lightly. No. Now, in, in recent days, there's been a lot of, uh, talk about the 50th anniversary of the assassination of John Kennedy. What, what was it like in Boston at that time? Well, we happened to be in Philadelphia. Like they say, you never forget where you were at the time in 1963, November 22nd, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. What, what's, what is astounding is in February of that year, we all had been to the Capitol and visited with uh, President Kennedy at his Oval Office and met him and being from Boston, he was from Massachusetts. It was it was it was a great honor for him. And the only guy we couldn't find was Bill Russell, so he missed out on the photo, which we have. And six months later he was assassinated. Uh, I remember waking up we had an evening game with the up to 76ers. I remember waking up and I'm hearing Walter Cronkite saying the president had been shot in Dallas. And I said, oh, that's not true. And I I pulled back the shades. It was still like still light outside. And it said, and they have taken him uh, to Parkland Hospital. I said, and mm-hmm. with the motorcade. So they got to be kidding me. And then the next thing I hear that the president had died and they were going to swear in Lyndon Johnson. And so Red Auerbach had the trainer to make the call and says, we're going back to Boston. We're not playing. And that's all Red has to say. And once he says we're going someplace, we, we just go. And so we went back to Boston. We refused uh, to play the game that night. And I think the commissioner... Uh, at that particular time, I think it might have been Walter Kennedy. 
he just had to go along with the program. And that's the power of Redhead back at that time. Well, I, I think he did the right thing, uh, yeah. whether they liked it or not. That when you lose your president, who we thought was was doing a lot of civil rights at the time, uh, a uh, sort of liberal president. I mean, you really got to see what he did. And there's a lot of Republicans who did a, a lot of things for blacks, too. But uh, he was really into the civil rights and the movement. And so we were making some advancements. And there could have been a conspiracy. I don't know. Uh, they're still talking about it to this day, 50 years later. So I really don't know. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping 50 years later all that sealed stuff would come out and everything would be perfectly clear. And there were facts that people didn't know 50 years ago that would shed light on everything. And well, there are some there are some things that Lyndon Johnson put in that can't be open until um, 2020 which is seven years from now. I'm trying to live for eight years because I want to know what he put in that, those, those papers. Yeah. I, so I'm, I'm, I'm battling my, I'm battling myself to get in the eight years. So that means I would have known what was ever he put in that cannot be open until 2020. Just had Bill Russell talk to President Obama and find out what's in there and tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we can do that or not. Elliot, another great show today. We had Basketball Hall of Famer Sam Jones. He talked 55 minutes, and you know what? Every minute was worth it. And I had the feeling he could could have gone on and on if we had had more time, but he was phenomenal. I'm David Spada with my co-host Elliot Harris, and thanks for listening to Sports and Torts here on TalkZone.com.